Have you ever seen a video of a dung beetle at work? They may not be the kind of creature you'd choose for a pet, but dung beetles are amazing creatures, and they certainly serve an important purpose in nature. A dung beetle can roll up a ball 10 times its own body weight of its favorite smelly substance. And then it climbs partway onto the ball, turns itself around, and uses its front legs to push itself backwards, rolling the ball in a straight line towards its burrow, almost like a circus clown riding a ball. Today, we read one of the most famous and beloved gospel stories of all. It's often called the story of the prodigal son, which means the wasteful son. Although maybe that puts the focus in the wrong place, is this story could just as well be called the story of the overwhelmingly forgiving father. And we'll get to that story. But this week, I've kept coming back to our first lesson from the book of Joshua. It takes place right after the people of God have ended their 40 years of wandering in the desert after being set free from slavery in Egypt. God has finally carried them across the Jordan River into the promised land, into a land of their own. They're free. They have a home. And God says to them this odd, intriguing line, Today I have rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt. Disgrace. Or as it could also be translated, shame. And it's such a strange and powerful image, this rolling away of shame. Shame is almost a kind of tangible, physical substance that God can gather up and roll away. And God, if I may, as a kind of heavenly dung beetle, gathering it all up and rolling away this big ball of shame. And I wonder about the shame that the people of God might have been carrying in this moment. Shame, not guilt. Because there's a big difference between the two, right? Guilt is what we experience when we've done something wrong. Sometimes guilt misfires and happens when we think we've done something wrong and haven't. But a lot of times, guilt is a very appropriate response to something that we have honestly done. Shame is what we experience when we think there is something wrong with us. And the people of God had done nothing to deserve being enslaved. They didn't carry guilt for that. If anything, their enslavers did. But they bore the scars nonetheless. Physical scars, emotional scars. They carried the experience of having been deprived of freedom, of autonomy, of the dignity that is the right of every human being. They carried the experience of humiliation. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes when people survive that kind of trauma and abuse, it can produce a sense of lasting shame, a sense of being less than, a sense that 
if someone could possibly treat me this way, perhaps that's what I am. And perhaps some of what God is saying to the holy people today in rolling away their shame is, you are worthy, you are mine, you are fully human. You are a slave no longer. And in fact, you were not a slave even when someone was enslaving you. That is not who you are. Because you're a child of the living God. And so today I am rolling away all that shame and giving you a home. And that odd phrase about rolling away the shame also sticks in my mind because when I hear it, I can't help thinking of another rolling away from Scripture. In just three weeks at Easter, we will hear about God rolling away a stone, a stone that sealed the tomb of Jesus. And in the resurrection of Jesus, God is also rolling away shame, the shame of a death, and not just any death, but crucifixion, the death as a criminal and as an enemy of the state, death as a public spectacle. The letter to the Hebrews says, quote, that Jesus, for the sake of the joy before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Shame that Jesus willingly took on for us. And again, a shame that he had done nothing to deserve. Shame, not guilt. As Paul put it in our passage from his letter to the Corinthians today, Jesus knew no sin, but was treated as sin on our behalf. And in doing so, he made it possible for us to be clothed in his righteousness. A happy exchange. An exchange that is not fair, but much more than fair. An exchange that's all about grace. So Paul writes, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Like the people of Israel who are set free and given a new identity, when we're joined with Jesus, we're set free. And we're given a new identity as a part of the people of God. And that means that God rolls away our shame too. Whatever it might be. We're restored to the creation that God intended for us. So really this new creation is new and yet not new at all because it's a renewal of the image of God that was placed upon us when God first made us. Beautiful, beloved, because we bear the stamp of the creator. This is a creator who makes no trash. And so even though God's image in us can get obscured, even though it can get covered up by layers and layers of stuff. God is able at any time to roll it all away, to wash us in the water of baptism and set us free. Which brings us back to that prodigal son, that wasteful son, far from home in a foreign land with the pigs, wallowing in the mud and in his own self-pity. He has made plenty of choices to get himself there. 
Recently, I read about a six-year-old who picked up a children's Bible for the first time and started reading through it. And after a while, he turned to his mother with a shocked expression and said, Mom, this book is absolutely full of people making bad choices. <laughs> One of those people is this younger son. By asking for his inheritance early, he has essentially slapped his father in the face by saying, Dad, I wish you were dead already. Having taken those family possessions, he has then wasted them. And so this younger son is carrying not only plenty of shame, but also a good amount of genuine old-fashioned guilt because he has made some bad choices. And unlike shame, guilt is very often a healthy thing. It's a signal that we have some things to re-examine and to make amends for. Guilt calls for some actual steps to take. It calls for confession, for naming what has been broken by our deeds. And it calls for a change of life, for making amends where that's possible, and for living in a different way. And the son, to his credit, makes a change. He practices his confession. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And then he gets up on his feet and he uses his feet to turn around. He retraces his steps and heads back for home, which is a good image of what Lent is for. There are times in our lives as followers of Jesus where we'll find ourselves instead wandering in a land far from home. And the thing to do in those times is to name it and turn around and turn towards God, towards Christ. And look how ready God is to welcome this child home. While he was still far off, Jesus says, this father doesn't wait in unspoiled dignity for the child to get close, but at the first glimpse, he races out to meet him. All the son has to do is take the first steps back and the father takes over the rest. And so the son launches into his memorized confession. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, which is a good start because he has. Confession. But then he veers into something that sounds more like shame. I am not worthy to be called your son. And it's almost as if the father has now heard enough because he seems to stop him there. Bring out the robe and bring out the ring for my son. Clothe him. Clothe him in what is his. This child who, no matter what he does, can never be anything else but mine. This is Lent a season of turning, a season to come to baptism or to return to our baptism, a season to return to who God has created us to be and who we are in Christ, no matter how many layers of dung may have accumulated. God can take it 
and roll it away like a heavenly dung beetle, like an angelic messenger rolling away the stone. And God can wash us in living water, and God can put on us the robe of salvation, which is our identity in Jesus, an identity that can never be taken away, the precious child of God.